Welcome to the Strong John Fitness Podcast. This show is dedicated to helping you achieve your best body without the BS. We'll cover training, nutrition, basically everything you need for a successful fitness journey, and we'll have some fun along the way. I'm your host, John Vlahoinakos. Let's get into it. All right. Welcome back to the podcast. I have an amazing special guest today. I mean, I was telling my wife who I was, who I was talking to today and I, I dubbed you, you know, the king of Instagram fitness or, or the biggest name in Instagram fitness. And, you know, she doesn't really follow fitness people online, so she didn't really know what I was talking about. But um, to me, this is, this is wonderful. I've been looking forward to this interview for a while because Jordan, dude, like you're, you're like an inspiration in sort for, especially for online coaches. Um, you know, we lead different lives, but at the same time, you know, we're out there trying to help people. And I think that's what it's all about in terms of, of coaching and, and fitness and, you know, what the fitness industry should be about, but, uh, enough about me, everyone. This is Jordan side on this podcast. And man, I love for you to just give the people that don't know maybe who you are or your backstory, like give a run through of, you know, you know, what brought you to where you are today in terms of like the fitness industry and that sort of thing. Yeah. Well, thank you for the kind words, man. I appreciate it. Stoked to be here. This is my first podcast back since my honeymoon, which is, uh, feels good. It took like three weeks away from podcast. I usually do like between two to four a day. So I'm, I'm stoked to be here. Wow. Um, so I got into fitness from wrestling, from wrestling. And if anyone's listened to me before, they've probably heard this story, but, uh, I started wrestling when I was eight years old. Um, my mom wanted my brother and I to get into it. We're short, we're small dudes. I was, I'm like five foot four right now. So I was a kid and she was like, I want you to learn how to defend yourselves just in case. And uh, we, I was in the living room. My mom, my mom came in and she was like, hey, I'm going to put you two into wrestling. And I was eight or I was maybe seven when she mentioned it. And, um, and the only wrestling that I knew is WWF <laughs> wrestling. So I remember lying on the couch and like just being so genuinely confused. And I was like, I said this, I'll never forget. I was like, you want me to hit people with chairs? <laughs> that was my like seven or eight year old yeah. response. And she looked at me like, she's like, no, you idiot. No, it's like Olympic style wrestling, which I had no idea what that was. So she put us in a youth group for, uh, for youth wrestling. And I just fell in love with it. I was just absolutely obsessed. Um, did that all through high school. I made varsity as a freshman. Uh, and I beat a junior out for the varsity spot when I was a freshman. Uh, I had to cut a lot of weight, right? So I was, I was a small guy. I, was, I weighed about 112 pounds freshman year, but I had to cut to 103 pounds for every competition, which was a lot. And I was good from a uh, technique perspective at that point. I'd been doing it a while. I was good from a conditioning perspective, but I was a freshman on varsity. So mainly I was going up against juniors and seniors and my strength wasn't where it needed to be. So I, I knew I had to get stronger. I just didn't know how to do it. So I reached out to a gym a couple of towns over from me. And I was like, hey, I'll take the trash out. I'll clean the floors. Like just you know, work for free. Just let me come in and learn from you. And this was a very specialized gym. It was actually, it was a kettlebell gym. It was all kettlebells. And I wanted to learn more about kettlebells. I wanted to learn more about working out in general, but uh, one of my coaches was Russian and big on Russian kettlebells. And I wanted to learn more about them. So I, I applied to that gym and they took me under their wing. And I was really lucky because not only did they take me under their wing, but they were very science-based coaches. And so from 14 years old, 
I was thrust into the science-based fitness industry under really amazing mentors. And uh, that, that got me started. I, I started learning really high level strength and conditioning as a young teenager, learning things that most people don't learn until after college. Cause a lot of times they don't even learn that stuff in college. It's after college when they start uh, practicing and training people on their own that they really start learning that stuff. So I got a really big head start and I'm, I'm very lucky and blessed that I had that. And from then on, that was it. I was just, I was obsessed with training people. I trained there all through high school. Uh, my first ever one-on-one -on -one client was at that gym. It was when I was 16 is when I started doing one-on-one. -on -one. And it was a, a 68 year old guy named Fred. And uh, he just had some rotator cuff issues. And it, it was very interesting to me because I remember Fred, he was a grandfather. Um, and his only goal was just to be able to lift up his grandson without being worried about hurting his shoulders. And I was 16 at the time. And my only goal was to improve my wrestling performance and look good naked. Like that was, that's all I thought anybody would want. And it was a, a huge revelation to me at that age, because I was like, man, this guy doesn't care if he has a six pack, like he genuinely doesn't care. This guy doesn't care about how much weight he can lift. He just wants to be able to pick up his grandson without the fear of hurting his shoulders. And that's like, I marked that moment as when I really realized I, I love coaching, right? Cause a lot of coaches become coaches just cause they like working out, mm -hmm. which is why I think one of the reasons why there's a lot of burnout in this industry and a lot of people quit just cause they, they like working out. So they think, Oh, well, I'd love to be in a gym all day. It's like, no, it's different to like working out than it is to like coaching. And I realized that when his goals were not the same as my goals, but I was truly fired up and passionate about helping him achieve his goals. That's when I was like, that's when I fell in love with coaching. And that's when I knew that's what I wanted to do. And I've been doing it ever since. That's incredible, man. That And to have such like um, open-mindedness at 16, I think just speaks volumes about who you are as a person. Because um, at 16 years old, I mean, I, I was working out. I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life, but I, I wasn't the, the kind of guy to like, you know, how you like supposed to put in some extra effort, you know, in hockey, like I was slow and I, I should have done extra work to get better. And I wasn't in that mindset, but you were here, you know, you're, you're in the gym at 16 coaching people already. And you already, you're, you're seeing this person who's a grandfather and nowhere near kind of relatable life experiences at that point. And you're just like, wow, like how different we are, but you know, I would love to help this man. And I think that's, that's an incredible thing. And I think it speaks to, you know, your approach to coaching, you know, as, and like, I've not, I mean, I've never been a client of yours, but I can imagine through what you've put out on social media and how you answer questions on Instagram and all that sort of thing. Like you genuinely give a shit. And I think that's really important because as you said, you know, especially the last year and a half, you know, thousands of new quote unquote coaches have popped up online and they were doing it either because they tried to pivot or because they liked working out or they saw it as money making opportunity, but they're not really in it for the helping the coaches. And mm -hmm. I think that's a big thing. Now through your kind of coaching journey, you know, from 16, where did that kind of lead you kind of to where you are now? Yeah. So it's, it's a crazy story. Um, I'll try and make it as, as brief as possible. Go so I knew all through high school, I wanted to coach. It's all I was thinking about. I was in, I remember in Mr. Ray's English class, I got in trouble because we were supposed to be working on a paper and I was just writing training programs for made up people. And I literally in my notebook, I was like, all right, let's say I've got a high school soccer player 
uh, with like an injured knee, like what training program could I give them to help recover that and get stronger and prepare for soccer? And Mr. Ray came over. He was like, Jordan, he was like, Jordan, what are you doing? <laughs> and uh, he was always like a very slow Jordan. Okay. What are you doing? <laughs> and uh, I was obsessed with it. So I, it's interesting because I was obsessed with that, but I also, I didn't want to go to college right away. Um, I thought I would go to for exercise science, but I, I was a terrible student. Like I was not good in school, really bad ADD. Um, but really just, I hated school. And so I, I took a year off between high school and college and I traveled, I lived in Israel for a year and I volunteered in Israel. I volunteered with Holocaust survivors and I just traveled the country. It was amazing. It was an incredible year. And uh, while I was there, I actually started boot camps for free for just locals in the area. I was like, come to the beach. And I took up a bunch of like, um, uh, they're, they're, you know, like the nylon backpacks that like they're, they're like, you can pull the string and they yeah. close. I got a bunch of those and I'd fill those up with sand. So then we'd go to the beach and we'd have like different size sandbags, just wow. like make them before and, and it was for free. And I got like anywhere between like 10 to 20 people and we just have fun. And I loved it. I was like, listen, I'm 18 years old and uh, it was a blast and I really enjoyed it. And, and so I was like, all right, this is definitely still what I want to do. Uh, so I came back from Israel. I went to the University of Delaware and I originally went in for exercise science because that's what everyone told me I'm supposed to do. They're like, if you want to be a personal trainer, you got to go exercise science. I quickly realized, uh, I'm not hating on University of Delaware. Um, they, there are some good things about it. I didn't like it very much, but I quickly realized that at least the teachers in, in my program, Delaware was like top 10 exercise science programs in the world. One of the hardest exercise science programs to get into for graduate school. Um, professors sucked, just to put it bluntly. They had no idea what they were talking about. Hmm. Um, and my, my mom and aunts and uncles hate when I say this because they're all about higher education. They're all uh, doctors and lawyers and professors and superintendents and all that stuff. And I was the system can be great if it's done properly, but at least in my experience and many others who I've spoken to, it's really flawed in many ways, not least of which one of the major ways was number one, these teachers had never actually coached anybody. Like they were, they were just exercise science professors. They had never actually, it's different to learn the science than it is to learn the practice. Right. So that's number one, number two, and this is equally, if not more important, tenured professors don't have an incentive to keep up with the research. Right. And like, I understand like tenure is a great thing to have great job security. It's amazing. But when they no longer have an incentive to keep up with the research, they just keep recycling the same stuff for years and years and years. And I could tell these professors, they didn't give a shit. And that's not all professors. I had, I had one great one in college. Uh, his name was Dr. Peterson. He was incredible. Still in touch with him, but every other professor didn't give a shit. And they didn't keep up with the research and they were, they were citing things that were super old and outdated. And anytime I'd bring up a newer, a newer uh, study or research asking their opinion, they would just brush it off. And uh, so I, I switched out, I transferred out of exercise science and I, I went to behavioral health psychology. And that was one of the best decisions I made because I realized I, one of the benefits of having so much coaching experience at a young age was I learned that you could have the best program in the world, but if your client doesn't follow it, it doesn't matter. And I realized that there's so much about 
so many coaches spend all their time trying to learn the best programming and periodization and, and making sure all like, how do you figure out the best macro ratio, all this stuff. It's like, meanwhile, their clients aren't following anything. They're just not doing it. And they don't know why they don't know how to speak to their client. They don't know how to motivate their client, how to, how to assess their behavior and change things. So I switched to behavioral health psychology and I really learned the science behind why people make the decisions that they make, especially in regard to their health. Like, why do people smoke? Like, why do people start smoking when there's a skull and crossbones on the box telling you that this is going to kill you? Like, why do people do that? Why do people not eat the foods that they know are going to improve their health? Why do people get prescribed medication that could save their life and they don't take it? right? They're more likely to give their dog their medication than the medication that the vet prescribes their dog than they are to give themselves the medication the doctor prescribed them. Why is it? There's so much behavior that, that's involved that people don't understand and we're still learning. But that, that was a huge, huge pivotal uh, change for me. And I'm really glad it happened because um, that massively changed my coaching philosophy and, and how I approach clients and how I even just um, give information away on the internet, how I talk to people and the way that I say things. And so I started coaching people in college at, at my local, the gym in college. And then I started writing articles online and started posting YouTube videos. And that was in 2011. And, uh, you know, really the only people that looked at my content were my mom and myself. She looked at, I got like 20 views on my website a day and she was about like 17 of them. And, uh, and that's it. And I just kept doing that, kept posting, kept posting for it's now 20, it's been 10 over 10 years. July of this year was, was 10 years. I've been posting every day <laughs> and, uh, things didn't really like my, by the time I graduated college, I had enough of a business to where I didn't have to work for anyone else, which my mom did not understand. She was like, what, have, what, what do you mean? You're coaching people online. Like, are you paying your, and she was, <laughs> I remember I didn't have that many clients, but like, it was enough to where she was like, how much are you making? And I told her, and she was like, are you paying taxes on that? And mm -hmm. I was like, I don't know what that means. So, <laughs> and uh, so then I, I kept doing that, kept building my online business and uh, things really started to pick up in about 2014, 2015. Then social media really started to pick up in about 2017. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's it. <laughs> that's the story yeah. as condensed as I can make it. I love it, man. I, I didn't know the, the part about the University of Delaware, like most of the time. Um, it's very interesting to me because I, I kind of have, I don't want to say like a bitter, bitter taste of like a post-secondary education. Mm. Not only, I don't know how much you know about, about Canada and here in Ontario, like it's stupid expensive to go to school here. Like comparatively across Canada, Ontario, it costs more to go to post-secondary, like college or university, more than like, I think five provinces combined. Like sometimes wow. it's, it's dumb. Wow, so wow. A lot of it already, it's like you're already pressured to get into it either from family, friends, whatever it is, even if you don't know what you're doing and then you got to, usually you don't have the money to pay for it. So you gotta get student loans. So then you're, you know, you're going into this scenario where you're like, well, I don't really know what I want anyways. And then I'm going to spend a bunch of money. So that, that I mean, that kind of happened to me where my mom gave me a couple of years off to figure out what I wanted to do too. And I still, I still didn't know. I, I did get into kinesiology at York university. And I think my biggest issue was it was a lot of theory. Like it was a lot of like, Mm. here's why here's the history of and i'm like i just want to learn like i want to i want to do things with people like i want to get my hands dirty and like you know get on the floor and coach and, and learn practical things like this was boring and maybe i was a bad student too like that's just how i saw it so i didn't i didn't follow through with that kind of similar to you i went to a college program instead where they are more hands-on and you know that was some of the best experience i got 
Yeah, it was. I wish I did that, you know, years before, but I, you know, I, I believe in like, you know, everything kind of happens for a reason and yeah, you know, yeah. that's how it goes. So it's interesting that you said that, you know, some professors just, they didn't give a shit and the path that you should have been on, you know, wasn't the path that you wanted to be on or actually you needed, I think for what you have become today. Um, that's an incredible story. And it, it's been 10, so has it been 10 years since like site fitness or it's just been yeah. 10 years? Yeah. 10 years since I started site fitness in July of 2011, I was, I was training at Westside Barbell. Um, and, and one of my buddies was like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm, I got an internship training at Westside Barbell under Louis Simmons. Like the, if you don't know, it's literally the strongest gym in the world. When I went there, their weakest guy squatted 800 pounds. That was like their chump. And, uh, <laughs> So I, I was really lucky. I got an amazing internship there. And one of my buddies was like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm training at Westside. And he was like, you need to start a website. And I was like, I don't know how to do that. So he, uh, he literally bought my domain name, sciatfitness.com and, and just transferred me the details. And he was like, start writing. And I was like, I, what do I say? He's just, she just, uh, he just said, write good content that helps people. That was it. That's all, that's all I said. And so I, super helpful. Yeah. And that it was on WordPress. And so I got like a free WordPress template because I didn't have any money to, to, you know, pay a web designer or anything. Mm. So they said a free WordPress template that just looked awful. It was so bad. People would leave comments on my website. They'd be like, Hey, your content's great, but why does your website look like shit? Um, it's, I still, those comments are still up because I've obviously since redesigned it, but I've never taken any of the comments down. So if you go back and look at my old comment section from 2011, 2012, you'll see those. That's and, nice. uh, and yeah, I just, I just, that was, so July, 2011 is when I started Tiet Fitness, but I started coaching in the early two thousands. Fair. Yes. Yeah, so you've been a year, an OG. I mean, and I don't know if people understand like that you've been in it for that long. And, yeah. Uh, I mean, I mean, happy 10th, 10 year anniversary, by the way. Thank you. Pretty Thank big. you. Yeah. This uh, this October is my, I guess this month that we're in, and I don't remember the date. Is my five year of of running my own uh, coaching. Nice business. man. It's, it's 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 weird because like I'm helping mentor like new coaches too through the online trainer academy with John Goodman and stuff, and it's weird to like talk to them and like they're starting out and I'm like man, I was there at that point like at some point, but then I'll wake up some days or I'll be in the middle of a stressful day and be like, you know. Well, I feel like I'm not doing enough. I feel like I'm not doing well enough. And it's that like imposter syndrome that really kicks in where you need to kind of slap in the face. You need someone else to tell you, like, look, man, like I look up to you and what you're doing mm. to kind of get you to understand like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm doing pretty well. Uh, how do you, do you, do you ever deal with imposter syndrome? I kind of, it's kind of a stupid question because I think everyone does. Yeah. Yeah. How do Someone you, I think they're a psychopath. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I literally think that like it would be if they didn't get that, like that'd be psychopathic. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I'm like, always, you know, I struggle with comparison to other people uh, about this imposter syndrome. Like, should I be here? Am I like all that stuff? Um, I struggle with, am I doing the right thing in terms of like, am I in the right field? Right. Like, even though this is what I've always done, like, I still like, do I even want to do this? Like, all the time I'm always like I think it's human nature to be like should I be doing this should I be doing that is that person doing better than me like why are they doing better than me like do I just suck does anyone like me should I be coaching people I don't know should I be am I good at coaching people I don't know like maybe not like who knows right I'm always thinking that stuff um I think the big difference is that I just don't stop right I think that's where most people fail is they just stop when they have those feelings or those emotions and they they let it paralyze them and they they it's not even that like 
I was going to say, it's not even that they just believe it, it's that they let those thoughts prevent them from taking action. Exactly. Yeah. I was just going to say, right. and that, that goes for fitness as well as business career, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's 100%. everything. Yeah. It's everything. And I had a thought there and then I completely forgot what I was saying. Oh, um, and when it comes to that sort of thing, like, I think it's, it just shows to the character of the individual. Like if you're thinking that you're not good enough in a weird way, it just means you're, you're still trying to get better. Like mm-hmm. a never satisfied mindset can be really, really difficult to deal with on a day-to-day basis, but it also does mean that you're not happy being complacent. So I think mm-hmm. there's kind of like a silver lining in that as well. I mean, cause I mean, you've been in this, well, 20 years, 10 years of side fitness. It's I, I, from the outside looking in, it's bigger than it's been, which is a good mm-hmm. thing. But at the same time, I know you've been dealing with some other things over the past year and a half where, you know, social media might get to you a little bit and you got to disconnect for a while. Cause you know, I only have like 3000 followers versus your, I think 800,000. Like, I can't imagine a day in the life of like, just what comes through the device. Yeah. How do you deal with or block time or like mindset wise with that sort of stuff? Yeah, it's tough, man. It's really tough. It, I think it was a big, I've, I've grown a lot in the last year and a half um, in terms of really giving so many so so much fewer shits as to what people think but the only way to improve is to go through that struggle and to like face it and i i've went through some really tough times over the last year and a half especially because the last year and a half i know we said we weren't going to talk politics or anything but like jump in been it's been a dumpster fire and not just in the u.s but like in the whole world like it's been a dumpster fire and people are so divided and uh you take that and compound that with people who who for some reason think it's a good idea to message someone they don't know so just saying rude shit and compound that with people just assuming they know who you are and what you believe and what you support. And now you've just got this perfect recipe for when you have a big audience of people just fucking going at you for things they don't know, they don't understand, saying the most presumptuous, obnoxious shit. And uh, it was really difficult. It was really, really difficult. I had a couple of times that I was just like, fuck this, I'm out. and I'm not going to say it doesn't bother me anymore, but it bothers me so much less. And I can, I'm very good at, at being able to see something that someone might say and not have an emotional response to it. I can just see it, recognize it and move on or just laugh about it or make a joke about it or post about it. Cause that was the funny thing is I used to not post about that stuff because I didn't want people to think I was complaining. Mm-hmm. But when I started posting about it and making jokes about it, it's some of my most popular content, which is really fun because it's cool because you really, you might get a, a ton of those messages when you have a bigger audience and you just think, man, everybody's an idiot. But then when I share those things, the vast majority of people, way more people are like, that person's so fucking dumb. <laughs> so you, you get, you realize like, wow, okay, so it's really that person who's the idiot and, and by sharing it and almost creating a community around it, it helped me a lot. Um, so now like, I, I don't, I don't share a, a fraction of, of, I, I barely share a fraction of, of how much I get, but when I do share it, it's always fun and it makes good content. I think that's one way I've been able to deal with it sort of, um, using the community that, that 
is there to sort of like, hey, like, and, and if I've posted things that I thought were ridiculous, there have been times when people are like, well, that actually person actually had a point. Like uh, when when I posted about me eating uh, watermelon out of plastic, I got a lot of people pissed off at me because I was eating out of plastic. And I put up a story about like just sort of like brushing someone off, and like a lot of people were like, "Well, to be fair," and I was like, "I'm gonna eat. I'm gonna eat it out of fucking plastic. Like I don't give a shit. I'm eating it out. Of, I, it's easier to get this in a plastic container. Shut the fuck up." And meanwhile, like that person has like a pickup truck that they're driving to work every day, and I'm like, "Do you take Do you take?" plane have you taken a flight in the last year because your fucking flight did more damage to the to the earth than this fucking plastic container did so shut up um so yeah it's now i'm just like i it still bothers me but way less and i can make a joke out of it i love it i think what's what you've done is you've taken their power away i think Mm. when you when you do that like i think maybe initially you're feeling you're feeling like you don't want to post about it because it's like you're feeding into the fire you're fueling the trolls and the and all the negativity but when you when you make a joke about it you know you're not bothered by it and the people who are trolling or trying to be like that are stupid they're like oh it's not bothering him oh i guess i can't keep going at him so you just taking it all away from them and then just essentially made fun of them online which is you know some people need it i think which maybe is not pc to say but i think where we where we are today some people just need to be told and told yeah off or told, you know what like sometimes like shut the fuck up like whatever it is it's so funny I do a lot. I do a lot of jujitsu and mixed martial arts, and there's a, a saying that's gone around that community, and I'm sure other communities as well. Basically, saying like one of the problems with social media is it gives people uh, the ability to say things they would never say to you in person because they're not going to get punched in the face for it. <laughs> and uh, that sort of my like when I screenshot something that someone says that's just super obnoxious and share it. That's my way of punching them in the face because I'm sharing it to hundreds of thousands of people. And all of a sudden they're like, I didn't know you were going to share that. It's like, yeah, so you better fucking be careful about what you yeah. say next time. Cause I'll share this every time. It's like, if you're going to go into my, it's like coming into my house yeah. and saying something completely obnoxious. If you came in my house, I'd punch you in the face. True. So <laughs> I'm going to share your shit. And then, and if your boss follows me and sees it and yeah. realizes that you're a piece of shit, you got to deal with the repercussions. Yeah. That's, that's part of the beauty of the age of today. Like there's a lot, I think 2021 in, in general is just social media has become this thing where it can be so good, but it, it's, it's not, I don't want to say it's turning bad because it's really not, it is what you make it. And I think that's where a lot of people fall there is too, is I've heard a lot of pushback from coaches like, Oh, I don't, I hate social media. I want to be online. And I'm like, look, social media, it will always be what you make it out to be. Like you mm. can determine who you follow. You determine what shows up in your newsfeed. You know, Facebook can be a shit storm. I understand that. I have a Google Chrome extension that mutes my newsfeed. I get a motivational quote instead. I'm like, I don't need to see anybody's rants and, and all this yeah. and that. And I love my family to death, but I don't look at their Facebook profiles. I don't, I don't need to see it. It's, it's fine. Um, and I think the way you're dealing with social media, like the negativity that comes with it has been awesome to see. Because I remember when you shared about like struggling with it. Um, let's switch. I want to switch gears a little bit. I want to because yeah. I know you just came back from from your honeymoon. Yeah, and I'm completely jealous that you went to Greece. <laughs> as a Greek man, well, I mean, my parents were born here, and so was I. But I've never been. So, really? Yeah, I know. You over there, man. I know. Well, I mean, we were supposed to go. So the long, the long and short of it is, my grandmother was supposed to send my wife and I on our honeymoon there. Okay. But we were pregnant at our wedding. <laughs> like not like 10 months pregnant. So obviously we didn't go. And then, so we had our baby 
And then it's a couple years past. You're like, okay, well, I guess maybe she's not going to send her. Maybe whatever. Then we had another kid, and now we moved out of the city. <laughs> so I don't know if we're getting that trip. We have to make that trip ourselves with like the family when the kids are older. Yeah. Um, but I, I'd love to hear, you know, your favorite parts. Obviously, the souvlaki was probably the best you've ever had because that's what I assume. So good. Yeah. Dude, the spanakopita. Oh my god! I had that every day. It was a spinach pies. I had at least two every day. And as I'm not hand to God, like these big, like big ones or just like a little, squ- little triangle, big ones. Attaboy. Nice. They were the best. <laughs> they were unbelievable. Um, yeah. So we, we went to Santorini and we went to Athens. Um, Santorini was the most beautiful place I've ever been in my life. Um, it was, it's crazy because it's the most quiet place i've ever been it's silent hmm. it, it's like so you're looking out at the water you're on this like tiny little island and i'm sure i don't know if you saw the views or not like you yeah. look out and it's just like just ocean and it's not like the ocean at the beach where it's like smashing because the beaches there they're not like regular sand beaches it's like it's from a, a volcano so it's, it's like hard rock so you don't go yeah. to the beach you just like look out and uh and it's not like waves crashing in and really loud, which I think is beautiful noise either way, but it's just silent. It's still, eh? It's, cr- I've never seen anything like it. I took a bunch of videos. I, I might make a YouTube video out of it. I'm not sure, but like it, I, I've never seen or been to a place as quiet, which was really, really peaceful. Slept with the window open, just to let the fresh air in every night. Wow. Um, it was great. The food was unbelievable. Like I've, I, I can't begin to describe how good the food was. Interestingly, I've never been a big wine drinker because wine has notoriously given me horrible hangovers and headaches. And I usually sleep like shit when I drink wine. I can drink beer and hard alcohol, no problem. Um, but wine has always just made me feel bad. I had a lot of wine there and I never felt bad at all, ever. Uh, and I don't know if it's the quality of it. I don't know if it's the production. I don't know. I have no idea. But it was incredible. And we drank a lot. Like, <laughs> I drank uh, an unbelievable amount of alcohol on that trip. Um, and I felt great the whole time. It was wonderful. That's so awesome. and then Athens was great. I'm a huge history nerd. Athens was incredible. And uh, just going to the, to the Acropolis. And, and we got a, a tour guide for two days there to take us through the, the city. And it was wonderful. The people are super nice. Uh, do you speak? Do you speak Greek? I can understand some of it. I don't really speak it. Got it. Yeah. Yes. I always try and learn some of the language while I'm there. So practice that a lot. Nice. And, uh, it was, it was a really wonderful trip. I like that area of the world. Just, yeah, it's great. That's awesome. Yeah. Definitely making me want to go for sure. Was it, was it less like, I imagine Athens was stupid busy. Was it less busy you think because of, because of what's going on worldwide? Um, you know, I lived in New York for five years and, and like nowhere is busy after living in New York for five years. And I literally lived like for, I lived in the West village and I lived a few minutes away from times square. Like after living there, like nothing is really crazy busy. Um, also lived in, in Tel Aviv for a while. And Tel Aviv is like, is super busy. So Athens, it was busy, but honestly, at my wife and I were walking around we were like, Oh, it's so nice. It's like, it's like, very walkable city and it was busy but it wasn't overwhelming at all i guess coming from new york it's it's true like i remember my trip to new york i i freaking loved it like i was we went in 2017 or 18 
I don't remember now, but the energy there is, is wild. Yeah. And I was like, this makes me so hyped to just like come back home and hustle even harder. Yeah. Um, I do love the energy there. What was it like kind of moving away from there? So, well, I have to give some context because the energy that you described is, is how I felt when I lived there, like for, for the first three and a half, four years is I, I just grinded. I worked unbelievable amounts. Like and it was bad for my health. Like it was, I'm not, I'm not saying this is what you got to do. Like it was mm-hmm. bad. I wasn't working out well. I, I was barely sleeping. Uh, I was eating like shit. And you can see the change in my YouTube videos from like 2017 to 2019. Like I put on more body fat. I lost some muscle mass because I was working all the time. And I don't regret it because it really did a lot for my business, but it was not a healthy, sustainable thing. Um, but the city is just, there's nothing like it. There's no city like New York. It is without question, my favorite city in the world. Um, but by the end, it was time to go. Mm-hmm. I think if COVID never happened, we probably would have had another two years in us there. But with COVID happening and lockdowns and everything going on there and being stuck in your tiny apartment that you're paying an unbelievable amount of money for, plus the taxes that are just insane for New York, not to mention the city tax for living in Manhattan, like, it was just wow. paying way too much money for a very, very small amount of room. And the city was shut down. Like you couldn't do anything. It's a very different city right now. Um, so we were ready to go. And still, still, even though I'm ready to go and, and I don't want to live there anymore, it's still the, my favorite city in the world. And I'll defend to the death. It's the best city in the world, like for sure. It doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, what you're interested in. There is something and a community for you there always uh it's it's incredible it's really an extraordinary city but definitely no longer want to live there Mm. just like i'm no longer in that grinding mindset i'm like ah let's wake up at eight and go to jujitsu and you know hang out have something to eat get a lift in do a couple podcasts and call it a day like i'm much more relaxed at this point in my life i I don't really want to go back because when i go back there i just want to work like and i I get that like itch i gotta work gotta work gotta work but like, I don't want to do that anymore. Like I want to live life now. I don't want to just be working all the time. Yeah, no, I can understand. I mean, the, the energy is, it's contagious over there, I imagine. And uh, John Romanello always talks about how New York is the best city in the world. And yeah. I imagine, and like I said, I was only there for like four days. But um, I mean, Tor- I think Toronto's trying to be similar to it. And, and you can't really compare. But I think my wife and I were always city people. We were always love the city. And then and we had one child and we're like, okay, well, it's busy. There's construction everywhere. You know, it's super expensive. And then we're like, then we got pregnant. We're like, you know what? I think it's time to get out of the city a little bit. So yeah, yeah. we, we moved, I mean, we only moved an hour North, but it's, it's quieter. It's yeah. colder. It's quiet, but it's quieter. It's more affordable. There's more That's room. Nice. There's kind of more room to kind of live and just grow. I mean, yeah. this is probably the hardest I think I've worked ever, but in a, in, in a way that I want to, it's a little bit different than, than when we lived there. And there's no commuting for me, which is super nice. Yeah. Um, Cause that like traffic, I don't know what traffic in New York. I, I remember this, the cab ride. It was, <laughs> awesome. it wasn't, yeah, it was nuts. I took some driving tips from the cabbie. Cause I was like, I was super aggressive when I came back home. I was like, yeah, I can squeeze and cut that guy off. Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> I did in New York. I was fine. It's fine. Um, but yeah, it was, it was good times. Um, how was, how was married life? Dude, it's it's the exact same as pre-married life. That's yeah. gonna say. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the exact. It's funny. How, how's being married? How, it's it's the same. It's the same. Yeah. It's the same. <laughs> Which is, it was one of the reasons why uh, why I made a, a rule many years ago. I was like, I'm not gonna marry someone until I live with them which I know a lot of people are not a fan of based on who knows. And, and those are fine. Like if, if that's your belief, but, and for me, I was like, 
I've lived with enough people and roommates to know that people can be very fucking different when you <laughs> live with them versus when you don't. And I was like, no way in hell am I going to legally bind myself to someone until I know that we can live together in peace. And, uh, and it's great. Like we've lived together for several years now and she's amazing. She's incredible. And, and married life is literally exactly the same as it was beforehand, which is a good sign. <laughs> which is the good thing I was going to say. Yeah. I can't, I, I couldn't imagine marrying someone before living with them. I, I, oh. I don't, I don't grasp the concept. Cause like you can be completely compatible on paper. And then if one person is like a slob and the other person's the complete opposite, like to me, that's like a deal breaker right there. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. But you know, what's really interesting though. And sort of to go the completely opposite direction of what I just said, there's a lot of research on marriage happiness and longevity of marriages. And you know what one of the most, one of like the, like in terms of this research is like one of the best marriages is arranged marriages. Really? Uh, especially like uh, in India, I believe happiness in marriage is ranked so highly among people who had arranged marriages who never met before the wedding I day. I can't grasp that. Which to me, I think it's so much so much of it is cultural, right? Like just yeah. on, based on our culture, we're like, are you out of your fucking mind? No way. <laughs> but like when it's part of your culture and like, it's what you know and what you expect, it makes sense. But I was blown away. Cause I would have, I would have put money on saying, no, they, they, they got to have much higher rates of unhappiness. Yeah. Uh, but part, and I wonder about this. I, I think about this stuff all the time. I wonder, you know, one of the things I wonder about in terms of at least in the US, I think divorce rates are 50% or more. My parents are divorced. Uh, one of the reasons I, 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 things I wonder about is I, are people less happy in marriages now, partly because of social media and there's, you can see so many more options and it's so much easier to flirt and so much easier to, to connect with other people that you never would have interacted with otherwise. And, and also like, it's, it's so easy Mm-hmm. to get divorced <laughs> like there are some shitstorm divorces my parents having one of them yeah, but like yeah. if you want to get divorced like it's it's so easy culturally it's super accepted and i'm not saying that's a bad thing but i am like in a culture where it's not super uh accepted and it's not as easy mm-hmm. and there aren't as many options outside of it i can see they're being like hey this is what we've got this like how you I'm take the situation it, you know? yeah yeah and i think that's what the arranged marriage i think it's more, they know they have to go in with open mind. So they're yeah. more accepting of the other person because there's no preconceived anything going in. You can't be nitpicking, choose who you want, what you want from them and that sort of thing. And, and I think going with divorces, like I think generationally it's different too. Like I think my grandparents' generation, I don't think anybody got divorced then. It was just like, that's yeah. your partner. You're staying with them. You know, they might sleep in separate beds and separate floors of the, of the house and maybe talk to each other four times a day but you never get that legal paper saying that you're divorced. And it's, it's mm-hmm. interesting how like the generational shift kind of can happen. And I think you make a good point. Social media can be, again, what you make it to be. If, if you're out there flirting and on dating apps, when you're married, it's time to take a look in the mirror and be like, what the fuck are you actually doing with your life right now? Which is, mm-hmm. which is true. And never did I think we'd talk about this on a podcast, but I love it. I think that's, yeah, I think that's it's super fun. cool. I was thinking, uh, what, what, else? Oh yeah. Cause you know, Listen, I'm I'm huge social media. I think social media is way more positive than it is negative. Mm. It, it depends how you use it. But it's interesting because the other similarity in terms of generational is like, I know like our grandparents, parents, parents maybe not, but grandparents, great-grandparents, 
they worked the same fucking job their whole life. Fair. They did the same job or maybe might have switched once, but like they were in the same job, the same office, the same store for 30, 40, 50 years. But now with social media, it's like, and just the way society works, and we live in a, such a unique time and place in the world, like you could change your job 15 times. Like you, there's all, oh, there's something new. There's something new. I could do this. I could do that. I can make my own job. I'll work for them. You could have three different careers at the same time, part work yeah. for yourself, part work for someone else. Like where it's, it's, I think because we're seeing so many different options, it's so much easier for us to just, well, I'm not satisfied here. So I'm going to go there. Mm -hmm. And I think we see this in business. We see it in relationships. We see it. It's just so easy to be like, I'm not satisfied with where I am based on what I see being put on social media. So I'm going to change where I, and that's, that's just a a bad game to play because you're always going to be trading up for what you think is going to be better. And it's, there's always going to be something that looks better on social media, but when you realize it in person, you're like, oh shit, what I had before is actually really good. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's a dangerous game. You hit the nail on the head. And it applies to fitness 110%. The shiny oh, yeah. object syndrome people program hop that this person's doing this thing. Well, oh my friend's doing that thing over there. I want to try that. Um, you know, for the for the I'd say for the majority of your career, you, you know, you've been kind of like open about things and you're helping people. You know, what do you think it's a hard question to ask kind of, and probably the answer, but like the number one thing people would struggle with, if you had to like pinpoint and again, super hard to answer. Mm. What do you think it would be if you had to nitpick with their own fitness, with their own fitness journey? Yeah. Why most people don't see the results they want. Uh, That's a good question. I would say there's a bunch of, of, there's a bunch of number ones, (laughs) but I, I think one of the biggest ones is, um, they, they give up so fast. They just quit. And, and it could be for a number, maybe they're program hopping, right? Maybe they're like, they go from program to program, but I see what I see is as soon as they think they made a mistake, who knows, maybe it's, they had a bunch of cheesecake or maybe they, uh, missed a workout or they, you wouldn't believe how many DMS I got when I was away for two weeks, people were like, you didn't, you're not, you don't, you're not working out the whole time. Aren't you worried about losing all your progress? I'm like, why the fuck would I be like, I didn't get all my progress in two weeks. I'm not going to lose it all in two weeks. And and people they'll go away on vacation. Like, ah, I missed a week of workouts and I ate so bad and I gained seven pounds. Like, what do I do? I'm like, you go back in the fucking gym and get back on your nutrition. Like, what do you think? What do you do? There are people who don't eat well or work out for their entire life for 30, 40, 50 years. And all of a sudden they're like, you know what? I'm going to make a change. If someone can do that, you can go away for a week and be totally fine. Like what the hell is wrong with you? And I see people quitting and giving up as soon as they feel like they made a mistake. And a lot of it comes from, well, they think they just ruined all their progress, which is just stupid. No, you didn't ruin all your progress. If, if your best friend told you like, oh, I missed a week of workouts. What do you think I should do? You wouldn't be like, oh, you fucked up. You're a fat piece of shit. You're like, you should quit. You'd be like, no, just go back. Get back. So why are you, why are you thinking it's any different for yourself? And a lot of people justify it by calling themselves a perfectionist. And this lights me up. I hate this. It's a, it's a stupid excuse. It's, and I like, I, when I work with one-on-one clients, I'd be like, uh, you, that is the first and last time you'll use that excuse with me. Cause it's bullshit. It's like, I guarantee you, you don't do everything perfectly in your life. I guarantee you, you are not a perfectionist in everything because I I'm sure of it. 
And they're like, yeah, yeah, you're right. I'm like, so you're choosing to call yourself a perfectionist in this scenario because it's fitting and it's easier to justify quitting when you make it an all or nothing scenario, either perfect or not at all. Mm-hmm. That's so dumb. And it's, it's allowing you to get away with it. It's, it's, you're not going to be perfect. It's impossible to be perfect. So stop using I'm a perfectionist as a justification to quit and just keep going. And if you do that for three, four, five years, you're going to reach more, you're going to achieve way more than most people ever do in their whole life. I love it. And it, and what, but what is perfection? Like that's, that's the other thing. It's like it, you, your macronutrients perfect. Well, how do you know that? Cause even that's a guessing game. It's never perfect. Ever. Are, are your workouts perfect? Like, do you know for a fact that your percentages are dead on, or, you know, you could have definitely did no more reps. Like, you know what I mean? It's, it's the mindset. And I'm glad you brought that up to me. I would narrow it down to managing expectations, which falls in line with what you said, because I think people are skewed by what they think should be happening. Mm. And if they don't feel what they think should be happening, even if it's completely way far gone, they feel like they're not doing enough or they're not doing correctly, or they need to be doing more or something else. Like, and then, and then they just get shiny object syndrome. Um, I had a client message me yesterday or the day before she's lost 36, 37 pounds in like 13 or 14 weeks. I think it's wow. something crazy. Yeah. And that's insane. Super like she feels good. She's training, getting stronger. And then she messaged me. She's like, look, you know, I feel like I've been stuck. And I'm like, what? She's like, yeah, I'm, I've only lost like five pounds the last three weeks. And I'm like, hold on a second. Let's reframe that. Like if yeah. your best friend said, I only lost five pounds last week, what would you say to them? It's not, you know what I mean? You're still making crazy progress. Yeah. Yes. It is faster in the beginning. Totally normal. But to like, shoot yourself in the foot and feel like you're not doing well from a number like that is, is beyond like hard to justify, I think. So it's just, it's sometimes it's just like that reinforcement where you have to explain to people, clients or people, strangers online alike, like, you know, the expectations you think you have for yourself are usually wrong. And Mm -hmm. it's, and maybe it's hard to hear for people. I don't know how you deal with that with, with clients you've had or the inner circle, anything like that. How I help them with that, manage their expectations. Um, I'm super upfront about it. And like, that's a a major portion of my content is about managing expectations. Um, but I, I mean, I have an entire video course for clients, for inner circle members that explains like, listen, uh, this is how much weight loss you're, you can expect on average. And then if someone comes and they say something like, I'm so mad, I only lost three, five pounds last three weeks. It'd be like, my, my question is my first one is like, okay, well, how, how much, weight loss per week is a good amount of weight loss. Mm. And I, I try and ask them questions and they'll be like, I don't know. And I'll be like, number one, you do know, you just, you don't want to say it. Number two is if you don't know, um, <laughs> if you don't know, then why do you think it's not good? Yeah. If you don't know what a good rate of weight loss is, then why are you just saying this isn't good? I'm like, well, Susan at the office lost six pounds. I'm like, I don't give a fuck what Susan <laughs> lost. Like, yeah. Is it, and she, yeah. And she's also doing keto. It's like, yeah. And she's fucking miserable and she's probably going to regain it all as soon as she eats a carb. Like stop comparing yourself to Susan. What are you doing? It's uh, and, and so from there, then it's like, okay, well on, on average one half a pound, to a pound a week. It's like, okay, yeah, exactly. So you've lost five pounds in three weeks. How many, what's the average there? Like, yeah. Almost two pounds a week. Yeah. So what the fuck are you complaining about? And they're like, yeah. I know I needed to hear this. Thank you. It's like <laughs> when I was, when I was a younger coach, when people would complain or, or freak out, I used to take 
the coddling approach because mm. I, I didn't want them to feel bad. And, and I'd be like, oh, you're doing great. Oh my God. Like you're the best. Whatever. I just like, I, I wanted to be a very positive reinforcing coach, but it was a huge mistake from a coaching effectiveness standpoint. I think being a good person, you're very empathetic and like you're kind and you're encouraging. But if we're looking at effectiveness as a coach, if your if your client is is always complaining or saying it's not working or whatever it is, and you're constantly reinforcing that with a, a encouraging and positive response, then without realizing it, what you're doing is you're encouraging them to keep repeating that cycle. Because mm-hmm. every time they complain, every time they say like, "Oh, it's not going well," all you do is just say how great they are. And that feels great for them. They're like this. So it's subconscious. They're not doing it deliberately, but they know it's, it's like if your dog shits on the carpet and you praise your dog, then your dog's going to keep shitting on the tar- carpet. You don't praise your dog for doing something bad. You don't praise your client for having a, a behavioral response or a, an emotional response, something that you don't want them to have that response to. Mm-hmm. So then I started being a little bit more, uh, uh, what should I say? I say a little bit more strict and more short in my response. And I'd be like, and, and I say, listen, I'm going to give you some tough love right now. Cause I love you. And I care about you. This is ridiculous. And this response is inappropriate to what's actually happening. And they'd be like, you're right. I, I needed that. And I was, that's it, it. And if I've never had anyone be like, why are you so mean? Cause they know I'm saying it with love and we're having an important, but like, I'm not going to encourage them to have these inappropriate responses. It's like if your child is at the checkout line screaming and whatever because they want the bubble gum right there. It's like, and you're, all right, fine, I'm just going to give you the bubble gum. It's like, you're telling them to do that every time. And I know I don't have kids yet. And like, I'm sometimes they're screaming, you just want them to shut up. Fine. But if you do that, you can expect them to keep doing that because they know what their response is going to be. So it's the same thing. If you, if your client is having a response that you don't want them to have, stop reinforcing it and have the hard conversation, let them know you're there for them, but have the hard conversation. I love it. Yeah. You just described me as a kid with my grandparents, by the way, I used to be that like whiny ass, like I want it kind of kid. Yeah. And, yeah. Then, yeah, and now I have, I have a five-year-old, my, my 10 month old, he'll cry because he's a baby, but I, I, I see, but I want, but I want, I'm like, buddy, now's not the time. Like you have to kind of, you know, parents, you know, I'm not going to tell people how to parent the kids, but you know, the more you give into the the, the behavior, the more they're going to keep coming at yeah. you the behavior. Yeah. It's totally. And I, I guess as adults, we think we're different because we're not kids anymore, but it's subconscious. Like that's just, you know, how you're raised or how you are. That's just, that's just who we are as humans. I think mm-hmm. um, we have patterns, we have habits. Yeah, it's exactly right. There it is. So I, I want to take up not too much more of your time. I mean, I have a hard stop at five o'clock. So what I'm asking of you right now is just put you on the spot for one golden nugget. It doesn't matter what the topic is. It's your, it's your floor here. So one golden nugget you leave the audience with. One golden. All right. Am I speaking to coaches or am I speaking to just fitness enthusiasts? Let's go fitness enthusiasts. Cause I think that's more of my audience. Okay. One golden nugget. All right. Um, I will say, <laughs> probably not gonna like this um well oh man i have a bunch that i want to give drop them all man go for it yeah all right here's what i'm gonna say i'm gonna say fitness no i'm gonna do the other one no one gives a fuck if you have a six-pack 
nobody cares. And whenever I say this, the bodybuilding community always gets mad at me. Like, oh, like I always get people who like are shirtless in their profile picture commenting like, oh, yeah, yeah, they do. Uh, yeah, no, no, no. it's like, no. I'm like, shut up. If, if you, no one cares about whether or not you have a six pack. And I consistently see that the people who spend their entire life just trying to get a flat tummy and get a six pack are consistently the most unhappy and unsuccessful people in the realm of fitness. Um, fitness should not be your entire life. It should be a part of your life and it should make your life better. The pictures that you see of people who are super shredded aside from them, obviously, or most likely, obviously being on anabolic steroids and a lot of drugs, uh, aside from them being Photoshop pictures, the person on the other side of that screen, that who's getting the picture taken of is not happy. You can smile, you can fake it. We've all faked it being happy before. We've all done that. We've all like been in a situation where we're like, people think that we're super happy and we're not, we put on a face, you put on a smile physiologically, it doesn't make sense to be that lean all year round. It doesn't make sense. It's why figure competitors will only post pictures of them when they're on stage and right before the competition. But once the competition's over, they're not posting any pictures of themselves. They'll only post pictures of them when they were that lean because they're binge eating and they're eating way more than they should. And they feel embarrassed about how much weight they've put back on is like the unspoken side of that side of the industry. Yeah. Uh, your, your fitness should make your life happier and healthier should make you more confident, make you stronger. If you have a six pack, cool. And if you want to try to get a six pack, go for it. But don't think that having a six pack is going to make you healthier. Don't think that it's going to make you happier. Don't think that it, it's even going to necessarily be worth it. Like it's, it's woefully, woefully uh, underwhelming. And, you know, your sex drive will probably go down. Your energy will go down. You'll get, be tired. You'll be cold. Your performance will probably go down. It's like, if you look at the best athletes in the world, most of them don't have six packs. Most of them have like a, a layer of body fat on top of them. Like look at Tyson Fury, yeah. heavyweight champion of the world. Like that dude, like that's peak performance right there. And that dude has his pretty high body fat, right? It's like, we've been led to believe that peak performance is a six pack and it's, there's nothing wrong with having it, but people don't give a shit. And what's the point? Like, do you really want to spend your entire life trying to like look a certain way to impress other people? Or you want to live a life that's going to make you happier and healthier. Right. So stop focusing so much on that. Mic drop right there. Jordan, thank you so much, man. This has been awesome chatting with you now. Again, for those of you who don't, for those people who don't know how to reach you, this is the shameless plug part of the, the hour. Um, where can people find you, my man? Yeah. Instagram. Pod, my own podcast, the Jordan Syatt mini podcast. Um, if you want to just put like a link in the show notes to the, my stuff, that's cool. You can Google my name, Jordan Syatt, S-Y-A-T-T. I'll show up. Definitely. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely like everything in the show notes. Thanks again for taking the time, man. I really appreciate you coming on to the show. It was great chatting with you. Thank and, you, man. Uh, this was awesome. Awesome, man. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And we'll see you in the next one. Hey, my man. Nice. <laughs>